This podcast is brought to you by DC Music Publishing. Find out more at dcmusicpublishing.co.uk. Hello and welcome to the Behind the Music Business podcast. Uh, my name is Danny Champion. I am the host of this podcast uh, that's all about the music business. It's all about people in the music business. It's about how they got into the music business, their journeys through the music business, what motivates them, and also just about what they do. It is designed to lift the lid a little bit on this business that I have uh, been in for the last 20 plus years. Uh, for those who want to get into the business, but also for those who are already in the industry, whether they are interns, whether they are at, uh, on, on, at the beginning of their journey, or whether they're artists and composers and, and creators and who want to find the right people to work with. Uh, this week's conversation is with fellow podcaster, Nikki Langley. Uh, Nikki is the host of the Mellow Compass podcast and is the founder and owner of Mellow Compass, the brand. Um, we talked about what she's trying to do with her podcast. It's very similar to this one, where it's a music business focused podcast. So we talked about that. We talked about what she's trying to do with the Mellow Compass brand. And then we talked about her journey through the music business, her relationship to the industry as a whole, how she used internships when she was first starting out, how she got into the world of licensing and digital licensing, which is where she finds herself right now, her time working in brand partnerships, and her thoughts on the future of licensing and digital licensing and the area of the music business that she is so passionate about. So I'm going to shut up now. Um, so please sit back and enjoy my conversation with Nikki Langley. a bit about kind of what your career is right now well Danny that's quite a big question yeah it is I'll uh, start with the big <laughs> ones and go backwards <laughs> and get smaller oh this is a different experience being on the other side of the mic uh, okay so right now I do several things you do. I am a podcast host I run an initiative called Mellow Compass which is all about demystifying opportunities in the music industry I work at a music rights consultancy called footprint music mm -hmm. licensing digital services like podcast platforms video on demand services fast services and then I also do several commissioning deals as well so my world is very music industry focused and that is in all areas I am a 
bit of a geek when it comes to music rights and I love getting into the detail right. on why things are a certain way. Um, and through, I mean, we'll talk about how I've got to where I am mm -hmm. today, but really I've discovered that I am a very detailed person. And so what I'm doing now really suits that part of me, um, you know, looking at contracts, uh, manipulating data. Right. Um, when did you have the idea for the Mellow Compass stuff? When did that start kind of becoming uh, something that you wanted to, to start in your head? Okay, so Mellow Compass was an idea that I had in the summer of 2020. Mm -hmm. In 2020, I was thinking about my next move from working at Fuse, yep. which is a, a partnerships agency. And I wanted to make the move into music licensing, which I had been doing a lot of as right. part of my role at Fuse. And I discovered this is where I want to go. Um, so I was at a point of figuring out, well, what are the opportunities? How do I move from one area of the industry to another mm -hmm. and i started having conversations with people just reaching out to them via linkedin or asking friends of friends to link me up with people having very casual conversations about what they do how they got there and through this i had the idea that it would be really helpful to broadcast the conversations i was having on for example a podcast mm -hmm. and so the idea of mellow compass was born from that it was it's conversations about opportunities in the music industry and helping people understand the breadth of opportunities that are out there for people because our ethos at mellow compass is that there's a place for everybody in the music industry no matter what your background gender or ethnicity is mm -hmm. and I remember when I first had the idea of Mellow Compass, you know, it was I'd not set up anything by myself before. I was worried about what people were going to think, the judgment of what I was up to. Okay. And then I just put one step in front of the other. You know, I built the brand through speaking to a friend who has a branding agency. I started building out the team, um, working with a friend who is a digital strategist um, because obviously we knew that we needed to have a social presence. And then with building the podcast, I spoke to several music colleges and about uh, having a, a podcast producer and Rosie, our wonderful podcast producer who produces the Mellow Compass podcast reached out to me um, mm -hmm. and shared a bit about her experience and we've been working together ever since because I really I can see that you know even though this is my thing and it was my idea there are various areas which I'm not an expert in and you know I can be the driver of this platform and have the the network for getting the podcast hosts and mm -hmm. the podcast but I'm not a producer and you know, social content is something that we can kind of all pick up, but there's also a massive strategy behind that. So having some direction from people who are experts within those areas 
really contributed to the building of what we have today um which is really cool i will now be having conversations with people and i'll mention melocompass and they're like oh i've heard of melocompass mm. that is i mean i think that just shows the the power of consistency and putting yourself out there and actually creating something that really connects with people yeah 100 percent. how many episodes have you done we have done we haven't done as many as you <laughs> um <laughs> it's I not think... a contest <laughs> we have done 20. okay have you got any you, you've talked about strategy have you got kind of forward strategy in, in mind have you got kind of numbers that you want to be hitting how many episodes do you want to be doing on an annual basis how regularly you want to be putting them out is has that stuff all kind of been planned ahead of time um, i would say it's in development um yeah so we we know that we want to hit a certain amount of episodes per series but we're also considering well do we want to do series or do we just want to be recording on a rolling basis um, because the podcast is really our product. It's mm -hmm. our main product. Now that we're through uh, the pandemic, we, we were doing events and other kind of activities, which were really engaged um, with when we were in the pandemic. Yep. Um, but now with the podcast, um, we're really focusing on um yeah we're focusing on the growth of the podcast so yes that is listeners that is some something that i i not struggle with but something that pops into my head quite often and i don't know whether you've had the same issues uh, you've you've come across the same uh hurdle is uh quite often dates and times that I will be talking to someone gets moved around you know they're, they're, the people that I'm talking to are very busy people they're like I, I want to talk to you but can we move it to the following week and all that sort of stuff and you kind of go oh uh wait a minute this was scheduled to come out at a certain time etc etc and then I remember that the only person that needs to make a decision on when things get released and how things get released is me and so and again I'll be interested to get your take on that is kind of are you quite chill when it comes to you know when you're putting content out because you can kind of get you know you can get it in your head a little bit and it can be a bit all right well this is series two so I need to do 12 episodes across 12 weeks and if I miss one it's the world's going to come down or you just go if I if I miss a week, it's not it's not that big a deal, is it? Yeah, no, how I, do you find can, all that? I can completely hear myself from what you're saying. <laughs> I think at the beginning, I was more. This has to happen at this time, otherwise the world is ending. And then you kind of take a step back and go, well, actually, we're at the stage where we can be a little bit flexible. People are still consuming our content, and they're still sharing our content. So, you know, we, if we are recording X number of episodes and someone cancels, but actually their episode is coming out in a month to six weeks time, there is still, there is still time Room to yeah. record it and do everything that you need to do in order to get the, the episode out on time alongside all the content. Um, 
so yeah, I think it's having a little bit of flexibility whilst having a strategy and a plan in place so that you can you can also foresee when these types of things are going to happen, mm-hmm. like um, rescheduling of a podcast, etc. So you've really kind of got your got your back covered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And have you got any other plans for the brand that is Mellow Compass? Do you think that you're going to try and develop it into, you mentioned events and things like that. Is there, is, I mean, it feels, it feels quite an educational mm. brand. So it's very much, mm. I know that you post a lot of job links and things like that on your website and on your socials as well. And I think that the way that you've come to it is quite similar to the way that I've come to this, which is a, you know, a big chunk of what I do is, is within education. And it's kind of like trying to demystify roles in the industry for people who want to be in the industry, but also for artists and creative people who need to think about, or, you know, where, where do I need to, to, to go to find certain things out? So have you got any ideas about where, what next, what else you can add to, to the Mellow Compass brand? Yeah, I think it kind of it goes back to what I was saying before. It's, it's all developing the podcast and also developing the team because right now we are four people. We all have full-time roles alongside doing Mellow Compass. And I can see that there are a couple of spaces which need to be filled. Like for example, having someone who takes care of the podcast analytics, someone who is both doing the content creation and then also doing contributing to the content strategy um, because we found that actually with all the other commitments that people have doing those two things with one person can actually particularly when we're in delivery mode of the podcast become quite a lot mm-hmm. um, so it's really building the team so that we're spreading the tasks and responsibility out amongst people who share a passion and share the same drive behind why Mellow Compass exists and also can use Mellow Compass to develop their own careers. Um, You know, I've had people say to me previously, oh, I listened to your podcast because I was about to have an interview with one of your podcast guests. Helps. And, you know, that's that is the kind of space which is you know that's kind of why we exist you're finding out about a role you're understanding about someone's background you know you might have just come out of uni and you're going oh my god i want to work in music but i have no idea where to go and you you know maybe you you're kind of thinking about being an accountant i know it's bit random but we have accountants in the music industry right the the industry is based upon money contracts and negotiation <laughs> and and rights um so you know there are so many different areas that people of all skill sets can move into someone who really hammered music industry internships 
in your, at did. the beginning of your career. Now, was that because at that time you wanted to go, I don't know what I want yet, so I'm going to try a little bit of everything? Or was that because you got a role and it was short term and then you had to leave that role, so you needed to look for something else? Was there, did you have a thought process in your head saying, actually, I want to, I want to try as much as possible at that moment yeah. in your career? Yeah, I wanted to try as much as possible. So the the amount of interns that I, that I had, a lot of them took place in my gap year between school and university. Mm -hmm. And I was very lucky that when I left school, I had a, well, it was my mum. I was going to say a close family member, but my mum is probably the closest. It's <laughs> pretty close. Can't get a lot closer. <laughs> Oh, it was going to be more conceptual. Um, I was very lucky at the time that she had a job that was very closely linked to the entertainment industries. Right. And my mum, being my mum, you know, linked me with one person and then that kind of catapulted into several okay. work experience opportunities, which was amazing um, because I got to work, uh, worked at UK Music, PRS for Music, um, Sony Music and their commercial team, and also the Beggars Group and something else. So I really got a good understanding of both the production side of the industry, but then also the, the inner workings of the music ecosystem itself. Mm -hmm. um, and through the, through the time that I was at Sony, I, you know, met lots of people. I've all, I always put relationships first and we are in a relationships business. So that yeah. is the most important thing to take advantage of mm -hmm. and nurture these relationships. Um, and there was an opportunity. Well, I asked, <laughs> I actually asked. If you don't that. ask, you don't get. If you don't ask, this is very true. Um, yeah, so when I was when I was at Sony, I kept in touch with the people who I was working with there, and I asked, you know, after I came back from a couple of months travelling, whether I could spend some time at Columbia Records because I had my eye on them, and very fortunately, they said yes, absolutely, come and work with us. I mean, cool. this is in 2010 when mm -hmm. internships the structure of internships were pretty loose in comparison to what they are now i was gonna i was gonna say were you were you based close to london i was based point? in london right. yeah so that this is also a series of fortunate events and i you know we do talk about nepotism a lot when it comes to internships and also the challenges that may happen if you're not based in london um yeah I've been very fortunate that I live in London. My mum was connected to the entertainment industry and this is how my first couple of experiences came about. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not to say that since then I haven't hustled like a mad woman to get where I am today yeah. because I absolutely have. Um, but actually saying that, you know, I, I worked at columbia records for two weeks then attended to five weeks and then they were like are you, you staying i was like i'm going to uni um and then when i came out of uni i i mean i th this is like the pros and cons of you know having something given to you versus actually having worked for it uh -huh. you know I, I was kind of in the mentality when i came out of uni that i would just get something right and that is not how I, how it works and so 
you know, for two years from uni, I was speaking to people, doing everything that I possibly could to get back into this industry that I really, really love. Mm-hmm. And there was, I just wasn't going to work anywhere else. Like I did a couple of work experience internships um, at production companies like Fresh One, um, worked on music videos, you know, again, built those relationships and then managed to get myself into um, instrumental, which came after, again, lots of knockbacks. You know, I went for a lot of major label internships, which everybody knows about because we know about these famous companies. And again, that is another reason for starting Mellow Compass because there are so many other opportunities outside of major labels Mm -hmm. and these major companies that we can move into, particularly at the beginning of our careers. Um, and then, you know, build our craft and gain some experience and then, you know, put one step in front of the other to get to wherever we want to be. You've mentioned a few of your employers. Um, yes. There was, in fact, you've mentioned the three that I wanted to talk about, Instrumental, Fuse and Footprint. Because um, they all, they're not all the same type of company, but they kind of inhabit not dissimilar worlds. Yeah, Would you agree I think. With that? Yeah, absolutely. They've got their they've got their common threads, and I think my career, it hasn't been a linear career. But I think for anybody listening, wondering sort of how to get from A to B, that my career is a a good example of using your transferable skills and also the discovery of what you of what you are good at right so when i first started working instrumental i worked as a brand partnerships executive um securing brand partnerships for youtube influencers so this was at the time of um the influencer marketing boom um Now everyone is a creator, we're in this creator economy. Um, But yeah, so my role was pitching talent to agencies, contracting talent for partnerships. You know, got this contracting thread coming through. So you you were representing YouTube influencers and looking for brand endorsements, brand partnerships, brand relationships that you could build for them. So you were essentially, in a very, very simple way, you were selling YouTubers to brands. Exactly. Saying you should work together because there is mutual benefit to this. Exactly. And we would get briefs from brands looking for this type of talent. And we worked with Instrumental. Instrumental is a music company. So lots of the talent that we're, work, that we're working with were music influencers right. covering pop tracks for example okay so it was a lot of it was a lot of that it was a lot of singers performers who were who had a channel and they were uploading covers and getting good traction on those covers absolutely yeah yeah Yeah. and so when we were doing branded content campaigns there was also some clearance of tracks that was required right so that was also something that i did when i was there so what what was the nature of some of those brand partnerships? Was it kind of, I'll use our guitar 
and piano in your video or was it uh, a little bit more um, I guess like native advertising kind of a little bit more subtle than that or was it as simple as put an advert for us say that that we're sponsoring this video how, how did that side of of a brand partnership work for example we were working with a fast fashion brand and they were putting out a Christmas campaign and they were looking for a track for this campaign, which was going to be on online. So pre-rolls that you might see on, on YouTube, for example. Yep. Um, so we collated and contracted several YouTube influencers to do a cover of this track, a track that we had chosen um and then that track was used for so actually you know it, it was sync at the end of the day well i was going to say that that sounds yeah. more like a traditional kind of sync relationship as opposed yeah. to something again it could it could develop into that kind of more brand partnershipy thing whereby the influencers wearing the clothes on their instagram channel you know it, it, it could often start start as as uh, a kind of more straightforward sync and then develop into something a bit a bit larger and a bit bigger yeah absolutely with the inclusion of talent in the content and i mean i guess this is a pretty straightforward brand partnership campaign you know, you've got you've got your talent they might be using their music covering someone else's track that involves clearance then it's put out onto xyz channel and you've then you've got the promotion of the content yeah it's a it's a vast world mm. as well that, yeah, is, and that is becoming vaster yeah it, it's funny talking about that now because that was what seven years ago and to think where we were then to the development and the breadth of what this industry is now is yeah because wow. I, I remember that from my time at places like Peer as the mm. as the rights as the you know head lead sync person in from a rights owner's perspective to then migrating over to being a supervisor, there was you know that was kind of five six years ago as well, and the industry has not necessarily moved on miles and miles, but there is a lot more emphasis on digital. Now there is a lot more emphasis on partnerships as opposed to yeah. licenses. Is that something that kind of started to, you know, moving on to the footprint stuff? Yeah. Is that kind of where you saw things going, that it was much more of long-term relationships that you were trying to forge between rights owners and music users than, uh, than just, right, we'll license this track for this use, or was it, or, or was it still a little bit kind of, track by track by track by track so some of the reasons why i went into music licensing for digital services is because digital is a growing area yeah. and there are complexities when it comes to licensing digital services and you know i, I actually brace embrace those kinds of complexities with sync it's you could say it's a little bit more creative um you know you're choosing tracks to go alongside 
the different type of media format that you're pitching for at the time. Um, but really it was the, it was always the licensing and negotiation side of things that really got me. Um, and with, you know, I, by the time I got to Footprint, I'd had quite a bit of direct licensing experience through the sync work that I've done Mm -hmm. and going into Footprint, which has its foundation in broadcast licensing and video on demand uh, and other online services like fast which i've mentioned previously um so i saw that as an opportunity to really grow and develop my skills within music licensing as a whole Mm -hmm. because i think it's important to remember that when we talk about music licensing we're talking about different types of licensing you've got sync you've got broadcast you've got vod licensing and digital licensing so i mean you could argue that lots of those areas i've mentioned are digital which is true um but really when it comes to licensing a digital service you are really getting into understanding the technicalities of that service and looking at where the music rights liabilities are so i'm you know I'm a very analytical, detail-orientated person. So really using my knowledge to look at where these liabilities are and then developing strategies um, for the music licensing side of things is something that I really, I really, really enjoy. From your experience, who's who's getting it right the most? And I mean broadly, is it the platforms? Are they doing it the right way, the best way, or is the music business and the kind of the pushback that they're giving a lot of it? Because because one of the things from someone who's had like twenty years worth of experience in this space is that. The music industry is always kind of slightly behind the curve and the changes. And so they're always forever kind of pushing against the changes. But as someone who has worked majoritively with rights owners, there is a sense that the value to rights owners has kind of is eroding and continuing to erode. So who, you know, which, what side of the fence have you landed on do you do you feel more of an affinity with where the you know the web 3.0 businesses are going or do you have a more of affinity of kind of saying actually the music industry should be should be pushing pushing equally as hard as they are at the moment i'm working on the services side of the industry yes i'm working with podcast platforms which are creative first platforms and then i'm also working with video on demand services fast services which have music as part of them but they are not the primary part of that service yeah anyhow they have to get licenses if music is being used on their service and that comes through license having a blanket license in place from collecting societies if you're looking at the other side you know we're looking at you know the new tech digital area 
then lots of these platforms, I always say the platform success is a writer's success. And I was saying writer because I work on the publishing side of things, but obviously yeah. you can also say that you know, the platform success is the artist's success as well, mm -hmm. because the music industry needs these platforms to make money. 100%. You know, if we're looking at pre 2010, you know, they were making all of their money from hardware, like CDs, etc. Now, the way people consume music is through these platforms. And so it's more important than ever that UGC services, streaming services, they work in partnership with the music, with the music industry. Yeah, with, with the labels, to, with the publishers, with the managers, yeah, with whomever. I just wasn't sure which one I said first. So yeah, Sorry. it's really important that the music industry works in partnership with the platforms to ensure that their writers and artists are remunerated the, the, for the use of their work. And that's something that is very, that's part of my drive, ensuring okay. creators are paid for the use of their work um, because they don't have salaries like, you know, every other person, you know, their royalties are how they make money. Yep. And, you know, we talk about the inefficiencies and you know the issues around data um with when it comes to administrating these types of deals and the length of time that it takes for creators to be paid and that is something that tech platforms can actually help resolve mm. you know so if, if we're thinking about you know some of the biggest platforms in the world right now mm -hmm. YouTube has their creator um, creator idea and their right system. Yep. Um, and then TikTok, I mean, TikTok are developing at all, in all areas. So these, these platforms also, I see, have a responsibility for creating systems that support the deals that they are negotiating with the music industry. And they're, you know, Again, I, I talk about the creator economy. Mm. You know, this is all part of the creator economy. It's it's creating an environment which is far more efficient than what we have today. And when I talk about efficiency, I'm talking about the the pace at which writers, artists, creators are paid for the use of their work. And is is that something kind of moving forward? Are you are you more are you interested in getting into diving into that world, i.e. the world of creating efficiencies through the licenses so that the artists are getting paid? Or is it or is it something or are you more kind of fascinated by the the possibilities that come with things like metaverses and stuff like that? Um I'd say I'm I'm interested in both sides and they are they are definitely linked. You know, if, if you're talking about licensing the metaverse, then you also have to think about how it's going to be administrated. That's exactly the same when you're licensing a new platform. Yeah. Um, take TikTok, for example. You have to think about the compliance side of the deal. I always think about it like there are two sides of the deal. Mm -hmm. um, if one side of the hand is negotiating and licensing, and then the other side of the hand is the compliance, the music reporting, the data analysis, that all comes into ensuring that the creators 
of which you're licensing the catalogue of are paid in not in time they're paid efficiently yeah yeah and i and you know that's all part of having good data which is something that the music industry is definitely working on at the moment you know you've got companies like utopia popping up uh, which are all about yeah, yeah, basically yeah. cleaning up the industry and making sure that people are paid well correctly. i'm I, i'm in that zone at the moment as a small music publisher i am now fully entrenched in the okay how can i make this more efficient for myself how can i uh collect royalties in the best way globally how can i make it more efficient how can i make my life easier so that i can concentrate on making the money rather than faffing about with all the the stuff that kind of just you know the the admin side that that ticks over yeah which is you know equally as important as the commercial side because you know if, if, when you're getting in a deal you want to make sure that the deal that you're doing with the person the person is going to get, be paid and they're going to be paid on time Between your time at Instrumental and your time at Footprint, uh, you worked with a company called Fuse. Um, I have to admit, I'd never heard of them. So please, <laughs> first, first and foremost, tell me who Fuse are, what your specific role was, because I know that it's kind of, it, it straddles the sports and entertainment worlds, but that's about as far as my knowledge base goes. So kind of, I am a complete Fuse noob, so... <laughs> What was going on there? What were you What were you involved with? Okay, so Fuse is a marketing partnerships agency which is focused in sport and entertainment. They're part of Omnicom Media Group. I took on that role actually working on non-music stuff. You know, that was my way in. Right. There was an opportunity there. Um, Fuse works with massive, massive global brands. Um, like I worked with Nike, Google, Vodafone, Lays, Tuborg, um, and I moved into the music side of things about six months in. So I always knew that that was an opportunity. And the way that I got interviews was through networking and reaching out to the then head of Fuse of one of the parts of Fuse um, who had a really strong music background. And okay. so she then introduced me to her other friend and colleague in music um and then one thing kind of led to another and literally within the space of a week i'd met several people and and was working at fuse in the role (laughs) how did i get here (laughs) yeah it was a a pretty fast paced okay um yeah so during my time there my main project was tuborg open so tuborg people might be familiar with um, the beer from festivals it's part of Carlsberg. Um, and tuborg open is a campaign all about global collaboration and being open to experiences and through that i got to work with a lot of talent from all over the world uh, like we work with clean bandit diplo and mo the chain smokers and my role was really managing the day-to-day of the project alongside um my my boss the director um so so your client was tuborg mm-hmm. 
you yes. were the agency coming up with solutions, suggestions, strategy for the brand Tuborg to to create content, to do something, to partner with with certain places, with certain areas. And a big chunk of that, especially because Tuborg already has a relationship with music via yeah. festivals and things like that, was to seek out opportunities with artists, bands, producers, creators in that way. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. So Fuse was, or still is actually, um, Tubal's music agency. Right. And we were the ones selecting the talent um, to spearhead each year of the campaign. Each year it was a one year long campaign. Um, Tubal always had a global ambassador. So those were a handful of the, the artists that I just mentioned. Um, and one thing that was really awesome about working on this project um, was because it was activated in several Asian and European markets, I really got to know a lot about the cultures in those areas right. um, and also the top local artists in those in those markets as well so we're talking like the most famous and popular artists in china vietnam india bulgaria right and i think when you are in a in a world of listening to just western music it's very easy to think that that is all the music in the world but actually there is so much more from mm -hmm. the, the the local talent in each of these markets and the common thread through each of each of the years of the campaign um were that the local artist worked with the global artist in some way so you know it was a very fast-paced environment you know you're juggling lots of different time zones from china to the us which essentially covers 24 hours yep. um been there there's... done that <laughs> yeah. i did a i did a, a a supervision job during lockdown where one rights owner was in la and the other one was in brisbane which is about Ooh, as yeah. far apart as you can get so i understand that yes <laughs> yeah and i mean you know it keeps it fun does. Uh, definitely teaches you how to manage your time does um you know and and also working with people who don't have english as a first language so you know, the importance of clear concise communication both mm -hmm. when you're speaking and when you're writing emails so that it's not there is no room for interpretation um and then because we're working with so many artists and creating content that included music from these local artists and the global artists who would have recorded a specific track for the campaign, mm -hmm. there was a lot of sync licensing involved in this project. And yep. so that is where I discovered my, that, yeah, that's where I discovered that licensing and the era of music rights was where I wanted to be. Okay, so the, but I mean, from what you said, the, the your time at Instrumental and your time mm. at Fuse, you're kind of in a similar kind of brand partnership-y world. But I guess the Fuse stuff, you really, you drifted much deeper into the direct licensing. 
world is that we need permission to use this particular thing in this other particular thing. And so, I mean, do you think you'd ever go back to kind of the more broader world of, of like brand partnerships? Because it's because it's often you know you go, you walk into Sony Records or or Universal their brand partnerships department and their sync department are very different. They talk to one another as do their marketing departments and things like that. But they do, you know, they they work together, but they're not the same people. Yeah, I mean, I think I've done my time in brand partnerships. I'm, you know, I, I've discovered the part of brand partnerships. You know, the the licensing and the sync side of things which is really my jam um and also you know i learned a lot about ip rights music yeah. rights advising on those types of rights within the contracts that we've agreed with all the different markets so you know through doing the the, the production side through to doing the licensing the contracting side the advising you know i think i by the time i left fuse i was pretty clear on the direction that i wanted to take next which then you know leads quite nicely into why and how Melacompass came about because i actually took voluntary redundancy from right. my role at fuse um you know it was 2020 pandemic um and i'd already been considering my next move in january of that year and then as time went on you know i i realized that by the time we got to the summer it was definitely despite being in this global chaos that you have to put yourself first and yeah. and so yeah i made the jump took the redundancy and built mellow compass and have been on my journey of music rights and licensing and really yeah developing myself within the era of digital ever since so my final question is from from what you've said you've got a very strong affinity to a very particular part of the industry the the licensing side the music rights side especially in the uh ever progressive digital space and i think that that's there's only going to be more complexities coming uh the music industry's way from that side of things you've built a brand yourself which is the mellow compass stuff has the thought entered your head about setting up your own agency in this way you know doing this on your own or is that a a risk too far do you still find the that, that there's a benefit to being part of something a bit bigger rather than rather than developing you know going going alone it's something that i've thought about for the future right now i am focused on building my skill set building my experience being part of a company that i can do that in learning from people in that environment to really grow into this and immerse myself further in the digital 
tech licensing rights space you know I can see and you're not the first person to ask me about (laughs) you know have you considered setting up your own company because I do so many different things but I think right now because of where where I'm at actually being in a place um, that I can grow is my is my priority and then you know maybe 10 15 years time when I have become a music rights expert so this is my goal this is this is what you know yeah, my yeah. goal is to be a music rights expert yeah you you see the the broad benefit of being part of something larger before you set your own thing up is what i'm getting from from that's exactly from what you're saying it. is that exactly although it. although there is lots and lots of benefits from setting something up yourself you know it's something that you own and I'm saying that as someone who is currently in that world. It's uh, mm. I went down the road of I, at the very least, wanted to try and be my own boss and build something from the ground up rather than just be an employee of somebody else. But yeah, what you're and, saying and... is that that's not something that you have said no to yet, but you're not you're not wedded to that yet you still see that there is huge benefits specifically from what you want to do that comes from being part of something a bit bigger yeah absolutely so it's yeah being part of a company that you can learn from the best in the business and you know having my own thing i actually think sets my sets me apart because i do bring this entrepreneurial mindset into any role and that has come that has come from having my own initiative my own platform and you know there there are opportunities to perhaps build out mellow compass in you know i'm I'm talking long term to become something much bigger but right now it's focusing on um yeah being in a place that I can, I've said it so many times now. Sorry. Yeah, be, being in a place that I can um, grow and develop. You're still learning, basically. Yeah, and I, I think, it, I think it's really important to kind of acknowledge that as well. You know, in no matter how senior we are, we're always learning different. Yeah, if I, I, am not happy if I'm not learning. And if I'm, so, you know, that is kind of one of the first and foremost things that I look for when I'm looking at a company. Are they innovative? What are the people like? What are their values? And, you know, actually, if we're touching on values, um, you know, those tend to change as you grow older. Mm -hmm. So a company culture might not be, the same as what you wanted when you're 25, when you're 35, 40, 45, because your life priorities change. And all of those things, those decisions, those thoughts come into choosing a career path or a company, a role that is going to support those values at the time. And is also gonna support your future career path um, you know, I always say that your career is a journey and each role is the building block of 
um, of that journey. You know, you're building your experience, your skill set with every role and every company that you work for. Lovely, lovely way to end it. Nikki, thanks so much for the chat. You're very welcome. Thank you very much for having me, Dan. Massive thank you to Nikki there for getting involved with this. Um, it was really, really cool talking to somebody else in my position as a podcaster. Uh, so please go check out uh, Mellow Compass. Uh, you can find her website at mellowcompass.co.uk. That's M-E-L-O-C-O-M-P-A-S-S.co.uk. That'll take you through to her website. Um, Mellow Compass UK is uh, where you need to go if you want to find her on Instagram. She posts about jobs as well as the podcasts and insights and things like that. Do find the podcast. It's on Apple. It's on Spotify. Uh, so do check that out. Uh, if you like what you're listening to from me, you should definitely check out what she is doing if you haven't already. As always, Massive thank you to Bloompool for the music. Uh, go check out bloom.pool on Instagram or bloom slash pool on Spotify. Also check out his Moonlight Sessions curated playlist that he does. If you like your shoegaze, post-rock and dream pop, if you're looking for music to chill out to of an evening or to focus yourself or to help you sleep or anything like that, then that's definitely a playlist for you to check out. Um, if you would like to get in touch with me, please go to my website, dcmusicpublishing.co.uk. Um, my contact details are on there. Also, feel free to follow me on DC Music Publishing on Instagram and also DC Music Business on Facebook. Um, there's probably about 10 more of these this year before I take a break. Um, because I'm very tired at the moment. So thank you very much for continuing to listen, and I'll speak to you again very, very soon. <laughs>